Seeds are truly remarkable things, if you think about it. And it's not surprising that uh, Jesus reached for an agrarian kind of uh, metaphor in his context because most of the people he was talking to knew their way around a seed or two. It was very much part of their life. But what was Jesus really trying to say with this metaphor of the seed? Seeds have growth in their DNA, if you like. No one needs to teach a seed to grow. They don't need to hang around with other seeds that have done it before to learn the process. Um, The miracle of growth is already in the seed. It's what seeds were created to do. Now, it would be easy for us to breeze over this reality because it's so commonplace in a way, but there is genuine mystery and miracle in this, I think. And even though scientific exploration means that we know more about this remarkable process than ever before, there is still an element of miraculous mystery. There's almost an automatic mechanism in the seed, given the right conditions, and it springs to life. Now, this must be great relief for the farmer. The farmer that Jesus spoke about wasn't really a farmer. He was some dude who scattered seed and it didn't matter whether he got out of bed or not the next day. Jesus says the soil will actually cause this seed to grow and keep going. To have confidence the seed knows what it's doing is a really good thing. Good farmers do supply appropriate amounts of water. They keep pests away and perhaps prepare the soil in some ways to get the richest possible crop, but it is still the seed that does the growing. The farmer does not make it grow. And aside from basic environmental considerations, his hands are really tied. If the seed did not want to grow or did not know how to grow, the farmer could not teach it. If it had no interest in growing, he could not cajole it. Cajole it. If the seed was rebellious, he could not intimidate it. The growing is in the seed. It is not in the farmer. It's not in anyone else. And this, I think, is a great relief. I still have this image in my head of my young daughter, Pei, when she was about six years old, the first time one of her teenage friends put a bit of lipstick on her. She was still very young, and in this moment I had a flash, a pang, of my daughter who was going to grow up to become woman. It was bittersweet. I realized there was nothing I could do about it. They grow up. It's what people do. They don't stay children. It's built into the seed. It's going to happen. We can foster a helpful environment, of course. When we share the good news, we don't need to tamper with the seed. We do not need to make it even better news, if that were possible. It's not for us to soften the challenging bits or to overemphasize what might be perceived as the payoff. All we do is share the good news as honestly as we know how. Then we can water the seed by telling stories of our own experience and checking in with people and see how they're going with it and all that kind of stuff. But the power of the growth is the good news itself. Anyone who genuinely receives this good news will find that it grows within them it quickly takes on life-altering dimensions. It does not leave a person unchanged. I was already a fairly uh, successful graphic artist when 
I first really understood the good news, or it began to germinate within me, I suppose. I had heard it for quite a while, but it really started to kick in. And I didn't imagine that this would mean that in due course I would lay aside my chosen career and get caught up in a calling, but that's what happened to me. I enjoyed being an artist. I enjoyed the characters of my chosen industry, the advertising industry, lots of characters there. I enjoyed the long lunches from about Wednesday onwards. You'd have long lunches. That's how we did business. The flexible working hours. Sometimes you're busting the midnight oil all night and sometimes you're just lazing about thinking when's the next call going to come in. But the gospel seed continued to grow within me and soon enough all this stuff which I still enjoyed began to pale next to the other things that started to present as far more significant for me. The whole direction of my life changed as a result. And maybe I'm an extreme example because I became a minister. Yet as the good news grows within any person, it increasingly shapes our priorities and shifts the things that prove to be most important to us. And I was really fortunate. I had some lovely people around me and they nurtured my growth and watered that seed. I remember um, at Fairlight when we lived there, there was a bottle brush plant that had... um, grown out, sprouted out of the gutter. There was a a mature bottle brush on the nature ship, the strip not far away, but this one had just kind of, a seed had fallen into the gutter, it had taken hold, and in a little gap in the stonework there, and it was starting, it was about a, a foot high by the time I found it. No one had tended to this plant. It had grown just because that's what it did. That's what seeds do. When I found it, uh, I thought, think we could use a bottle brush in our garden. So I very carefully pulled out the roots and got it into the garden and managed to successfully relocate it. Now, it thrived there, no thanks to me. I have brown thumbs. Most plants I look after don't survive. So don't get me to water your lawn or anything else because it's not a good idea. But this seed knew what it was doing and in the right conditions, it really flourished. So it's not that we don't have to do anything when it comes to nurturing a suitable environment for growth. There are things we can do to hinder or to help, but the farmer does, and the farmer does well to till the soil and water and protect from pests, but all things being equal, the seed has the power to grow in it and it will grow. How does this growth happen? Of course, today we know so much more about seeds than was known in Jesus' day in one sense, although really they knew everything that was important back then as well. Um, We've analysed the constituent parts. We can track many of the biological processes that take place. Humans are really astute observers of life and anything that we think might help us, we acquire that knowledge and um, we've got detailed insight into almost every area of life these days. It's quite extraordinary. Yet we still don't really know what it is that orients an organism toward life. Evolutionary theory would explain anything not oriented toward life selects itself out. It simply does not persist and so it's not there and so life-giving things do persist and they are there and there's a logic to that of course. Although this does suggest the whole process is kind of random and some things accidentally become oriented towards life and those are the things that survive and reproduce but I think it's more complex than that. Because in the theory of survival of the fittest, there's a suggestion that only the strongest or most adaptive survive. And yet, we know 
apparently weak things persist in our world and very inflexible, non-adaptive characters abound all around us, right? What some call aberrations, others see as ongoing expressions of creativity, reaching beyond established norms, could be considered rebellious or it could be in search a search for the different and the new, the richness of ever greater variety. It's not straightforward to prescribe what makes for life, let alone what makes things reach for life. And I think we have to admit that here there is much that can't be boiled down simply to the operation of biological mechanisms or the outworking of evolutionary theory. Those explanations cannot tell us what makes life lifey for us. They're all too limited in their conceptions of growth and life. Life is not merely survival. Growth does not come down to merely acquiring more or getting physically larger. There has to be a depth dimension to all of this. Just as the subterranean root, root system of a tree is roughly as extensive as its foliage that we see above the ground, so too we need an ever-deepening appreciation of life if we are to expand our embrace of all of life, which is a kind of a segue to the second of Jesus saying about the mustard seed, which of course is our titular story, the mustard seed, that's us. Clever people can be pretty accurate in anticipating things. We observe patterns, we extrapolate out those patterns to anticipate where those patterns are going. I marvel at weather forecasters. Imagine being able to tell me that on Tuesday the high temperature is likely to be so-and-so degrees. And they're not always completely accurate, but they're pretty darn close most of the time. Isn't that extraordinary? They've gotten better in my lifetime too, I think. They've gathered so much data on these patterns and they've seen how they interact in certain situations that they can work out what's going to happen. Sometimes things develop in ways we could never anticipate. Perhaps we're observing a pattern that we've never seen before and we mistake it for a pattern that we have seen previously. When the first disciples began sharing the gospel, they had no way of extrapolating out that this story of good news would come to dominate the development of much of the world for the 2,000 years that followed their preaching. There's no way they could have known that and the impact that it would have. How could this ragtag team of tradesmen, fishermen, outcasts possibly have known the impact of the gospel they were sharing on the whole world? Yet history has shown us when a person's sense of ultimate reality is shaped by the notion of the grace of God contained in this story of good news, it changes one's life orientation. When whole cultures come under its influence, it changes the entire direction and development of that culture. It can shape whole nations and the way of life for millennia. Slaves become liberated, literally, and the practice of owning humans is outlawed. People get cared for, and universal health care becomes first a vision and then mostly a reality in some countries. Communities decide they want to resource all their people, and basic education becomes freely available 
to all who would like it. The impact of these three things alone has proven to be world-shaping over the last 2,000 years. And it's fascinating to keep an eye on the way these things are coming under threat these days as our gospel assumptions are eroded by secularism. Many in our community are effectively slaves once again to crushing debt. The constant escalating cost of healthcare and higher education mean that access to these are being squeezed. One wonders whether we might return to a time when higher education and quality healthcare might again be only for those who have means. Do we still have a compelling story that effectively urges us to care for all, to not leave some behind as a kind of quasi-sacrifice to progress? Yet if this good news does take root in the heart of a person or a community or a society or a culture, if it becomes the directional influence of the community, it cannot help but grow. It changes life in real ways. The logic of God's grace and the winning power of God's love make growth in capacity virtually irresistible. And this growing capacity proves Uh, provides more life for more people as it grows. Indeed, if growth is not ongoing, we know something is not as it should be. And I'm not talking simply about economic growth, although I think that is related. I'm not talking about ever-expanding power, though again I see those things as related as well. It's growth in capacity to care for one another. If my daughter Pei had remained a cheeky six-year-old with lipstick on, and did not develop into a cheeky 12-year-old who doesn't wear lipstick, we would know something was not right, wouldn't we? Pay now bakes cakes for her friends, unsupervised, which it means I can't watch. Uh, <laughs> but her capacities continue to develop. She's growing in her relationship skills. She's honing her ability to manage the state of her own bedroom. She's bringing more blessing to more people. This, in a sense, is the growth of the kingdom. It is the ever-increasing capacity to care for one another, to the point where there is such a superabundance of care, we cannot help but care for more and more people in more effective ways. This seemingly tidy seed does grow into a significant place of safety and nurture for many. The growth is innate to the seed of the good news. We can have confidence in that. It's already in there. We don't need to understand the whole mystery. We're simply invited to live into it, to allow it to grow in us and around us to the glory of God. Amen.